This is Geek Gab with your host, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, September 22nd, 2018. And today on the show, we have indie author Brian Niemeyer, who is here to talk about his brand new work currently on Indiegogo. But before we get to that, how was your week, sir? Dorno, how was your week? Hey, man. Uh, it's been pretty good, actually. I, I took a few days off work, rest and relaxation. Mostly mostly taking care of uh, little projects around the house, as well as uh, resting and playing a little video games, little board games. So all in all, in all a relaxing staycation. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to remember the last time I had a... Oh, no. The last time I had an actual vacation was just a few weeks ago when I went camping with my family. Well, that sounds nice. You should but do it again. It really was a vacation. I mean... You know, you still did the show. Still did the show. Drove drove an hour in from the wilderness to get internet so we could do the show. Wow, yeah. that's dedication. <laughs> I've done this show under horrific conditions. I've I have on some shows I have literally taken medication right before the show begins so I can be well enough to perform, and then after the show is over, I was sick again and spent the rest of the day ill for one reason or another oh uh, you really yeah you really hurt yourself for the for the love of the show hope you people appreciate that you better appreciate that so hey brian it's it's good to see it's good to see you alive actually it's good to hear you alive i was uh, i was using a, a running gag whenever we bring you up on the show uh we, i'd say uh, and and our, our dearly departed Brian and 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 I I used it a few times and finally one guy's like oh my god did Brian die I, was like, oh. <laughs> I love it welcome back bro thanks it's good to be back it it honestly feels like I I just did this a couple weeks ago because I've lost all conception of time so I got that going for me you've been in a time warp oh well, you know me always working. I, under, I understand it's easy to get into a time warp. Uh, it's just a jump to the left. <laughs> Throw yourself over the ground and miss. Something something like that. Uh, I got that reference. So what you been up to, man? I've been working on a whole new series, which Daddy Warpig kindly introduced, called Combat Frame Exceed. Think of it as Mobile Suit Gundam meets Metal Gear Solid, but without all the avant-garde, nonsensical parts thrown out. So that's that's a game I only put a few minutes in, in, into. Something about, does your story feature a box, a cardboard box that you can hide in? Hold on, let me pull up the manuscript at will by the end of the show. Good <laughs> on. You can think of it as uh, Mobile Suit Gundam meets uh, like Jason Bourne or James Bond, if you'd prefer. Tom Clancy. 
Am I going to have to step in here? I just thought, hey, you know, I'll chill out. These two guys are vets. They've been on the show for four years. Brian was a co-host. They can they can handle the conversation. I'm just, well, you do you realize you guys have let the conversation die like three times in the first two minutes? That's impressive. That's a death every 45 seconds. Check out the math there. That's hey. how quick I am with my basic math skills. Hey, man, you, you obviously don't remember what it was like when we were both co-hosting the show. Uh, I don't remember a lot of things right now. I am coping with uh, with severe sleep deprivation, so my memory of things is kind of shot. That's why I take notes so uh, obsessively, is so I will remember them once my brain regains its balance. Uh, well, so well, no, I do not remember. That was the point. I do not remember that. I've got a treat for you, Brian, because I'm not a Gundam guy. Honestly, I know that there are things called Gundams and there's a Macross thing and, and, and a lot of them have this same art style, but I, I have a humble request. Can you, can you educate me on, on, on what your influences are and what these things are? Other than Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. I mean, I played, I played 30 minutes of Metal Gear Solid when it first came out on the PlayStation ages ago. And, uh, and, and I was, I was a Voltron kid. So I, <laughs> I have played 40 hours now on, on uh, Final Fantasy V, 15. Why? I guess that's good. But be, I'm going to review it. That's why I bought it, to play it and review it for the for Castalia House. But you know, last, I just wanted to update from last week. I have now played f almost 40 hours, 38 hours and something. Of yeah. a game Conan O'Brien called an aggressive waste of our time. <laughs> anyway, yeah, sure, definitely can. I was mainly trying to tailor my elevator pitch for the gamers in our audience. But uh, yeah, I see the chat talking about, oh, Gundam with, and uh, Metal Gear Solid without the Kojima BS sold. So yeah, Brad, Bradford gets it. But no, so if, if you're not a Gundam guy, uh, I suppose I should start with the idea of Mecha. Okay. Um, I take it you're probably more Battletech guys, both of you. <laughs> sure. That, that would that would the also mech, be an error. The mecha genre is just outside of my wheelhouse. I've I've been exposed to it repeatedly over the years between BattleTech and Voltron and and uh, anime that sort of thing. But it never really took hold in my psyche. Uh, so I'm probably not your audience for this one. But I'm really interested to know what it's about and what what the appeal is. Okay, no, that's fine. Just trying to, to form a diagnosis here. Find out what my departure point is. Okay. Have you read much Mill SF? Sure, a little bit. Okay. You're asking you're asking Dornall if he's read something? <laughs> Dude, we, we he had to get sick last week. He had to get like deathly ill, couldn't move out of his bed sick before we could actually get him to lay down and read something. And even then. It was a couple of like nonfiction books. This was on last week's show. Uh, nonfiction books. He 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 just. I'm not saying he literally actually never reads, but usually actually never reads. So, so I know, folks, he's read the Soul Cycle available now. Right. 
Yes, and, and you should you should take that that for the massive compliment it is that he was willing to put in the time to actually scan lines of of uh, Roman characters and and allow them to form visions in his head because that is a a painful process. I believe it literally causes ruptures in the blood vessels in his forehead when he normally tries that. So he was willing to endure the pain for your previous books. And 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 you know what? It's true because honestly I sort of I didn't get most of Nathaniel. I had to ask Brian afterwards on the show. And and I, I it took me it took me halfway through Soul Dancer to get everything that I read in Nathaniel. Okay, well, that's a good baseline, actually, because the whole point of doing Combat Frame Exceed is to do a series that is way more accessible and commercial than the Soul Cycle was. And I see none of those descriptors as negatives, okay? Because I, I went and did the Soul Cycle, that was my passion project. It won me Dragon Warden a Dragon nomination. I really said what I wanted to say in terms of space opera, fantasy, horror pastiche there. What I'm doing now is just giant robots from space blowing things up. All right. With espionage undertones. Okay. So there we go. Now, now we've done the, the quick blurb and like the 10, 15 second elevator pitch. So if you want... I can go into a little finer granularity, a little, little more detail with the plot. I, I should mention this to the audience, and you should not be surprised, audience, but uh, his book is currently on Indiegogo, and there is, in point of fact, as we speak, underneath the video, a link to the uh, already successful Indiegogo. Uh, he has already met the minimum funding requirements. Uh, you can click on the link to go there and check it out, check out some art um, and see what else, uh, see what reward level or donation level, I don't know what they call it on Indiegogo, you would be comfortable with uh, with providing. Yeah, and I'll mention that uh, right now we're into our final stretch goal. Uh, we've already funded the first and second books and a set of trading cards. We're now going for an audiobook narrated by a friend of the show, Jim Fear138. And that's going to be unlocked at $5,000. We're already more than halfway there with, I believe, just 18 days to go. And now there are uh, a lot of great rewards, a lot of great perks. Check it out. See, I, I don't, uh, I'm very careful nowadays to say when I haven't read or watched something, very often, it is not because I dislike something. It's merely because I've been very busy for a long time. Mm. And that particular genre or those particular shows have fallen outside of uh, outside of my immediate needs to read stuff, to get stuff uh, ready for whatever I was doing at the time. So I have not watched, um, other than what, Neon Genesis Evangelion, that uh, a friend of mine had me sit down and watch. I have not watched, um, you know, Gundam or Robotech or the American version of Robotech or, you know, really anything uh, that is Japanese 
uh, mecha anime. And so I understand there's a whole raft of tropes that are almost cliches by now about the five-man band. And one of them is really, really effeminate, but is is uh, an effeminate man and um, all of that. And I know those through TV tropes, not because I've actually seen the original works. Mm. So I understand that you're taking... It, in a high conceptual level, you're taking inspiration from something that already exists and saying, okay, here's my version of it. It's it's gone off the rails. It is no longer um, supplying what the audience wants or needs, so I'm going to fork it and make my own version of it and sell that to the audience, which is great. I highly recommend that to anybody that can do that. And we've seen uh, Nick Cole and Jason Onspach obviously have fabulous success with their Star Wars, not Star Wars. So what is it about Gundam that you wanted to get rid of? And what is it about Gundam that you wanted to sort of embrace and make your own and redo it in your own image? Again, I do not consider the phrase ripoff artist to be necessarily bad. Gary Gygax, when he created D&D, was a huge ripoff artist. You can point to just about anything in that game, in the original D&D games, and he stole it from somewhere. Behold, uh, not beholders, but um, the, uh, anyways, all the animals, like the bulette, the land shark, was originally a plastic toy from China that he just made up stats for, and on and on and on. And so, uh, you know, he got hiding shadows from Jack of Shadows. He got uh, a lot of the cleric stuff from Hammer Horror movies, and so on and so forth. So I don't consider it to be an insult to say, okay, so you're, in a sense, you're ripping off Gundam. You're taking the good stuff, you're running with it, because quality is its own justification. Mm. If you do it well, if it's a quality product, then it doesn't matter whether it's completely 100% wholly original or if it uh, borrows inspiration from a place, even heavily inspired by it. Quality is its own justification. So what is it you wanted to get rid of and what is it you wanted to keep? Well, I'm glad you led with Eva, as the chat is pointing out, because, okay, there's a tie-in to what the Pulprev is doing with print American science fiction here and what the A Gundam for Us hashtag is doing with Japanese mecha anime. So think about what Watchmen did to American comics, okay? It was this big deconstruction and it was this meteor impact that really changed the face of the industry so that everything since then has been like some reaction to or some variation in some way like um with watchman alan moore threw down a gauntlet issued a challenge that really every comic since has had to grapple with in some some ways the elephant in the room evangelion is that for mecha anime it came in and purposely subverted all the tropes while throwing in like some Kabbalistic and skewed Christian theology, really on a superficial level to, to kind of make it look, make it look smart. Okay. But then just said about undermining these robot genres that have been popular since the seventies. And what I'm trying to address is the fact that, on the mecha scene right now, you really have only two kinds of shows. You have Eva clones that are a copy of a copy of a copy of Evangelion, or 
you have your Gundam and Macross style series that are really just spinning their wheels and haven't actually done anything original in like 20 years now. So what I'm attempting to do with Xseed and according to the beta reader feedback I'm getting have succeeded in doing is infusing some fresh blood, re revitalizing, re-energizing the kind of moribund mecha genre with an infusion of Western tropes and Western story structures. Because one element of anime and Eastern storytelling as a whole that can sometimes strike Westerners as odd or might seem a bit dissonant to us is their favorite story structure isn't a three act, it's a four act. And it's not necessarily conflict driven like Western stories tend to be, right? In um, Eastern storytelling, it's more like, we're okay, we're gonna give you this character. We're gonna let you get to know him. We're gonna let you see where he's at, what his surroundings are, what his aspirations are. Okay, then there's gonna be an event not necessarily conflict. And now in the final act, we're going to explore the consequences of that event and watch rinse repeat. So go, go ahead, got a question. Uh, it's not a question, it's more of a statement. Um, sure. And it's actually kind of a, a little bit of a tangent, but uh, I, I, I have a feeling, I have faith this actually will play back into the main topic. Rewatchman. Um, the biggest mistake people in the comics industry have made in dealing with the Watchmen or Watchmen, the comic series, the 12 issue comic series, is that they take it seriously. They mistake Watchmen for a serious critique of comics. They believe, because this was the... Uh, this was what they were told was true. They believed, because this was the, P the PR about it, that Watchmen was making deep, legitimate, um, profound critiques of the superhero genre. So let me take a step back from a second and say that superheroes as a genre are really fragile. The genre itself is really fragile. If you try to take it out of what it does best, it doesn't work. There are a lot of unstated assumptions that go into superhero comics that you just have to accept. And taking them too seriously or focusing on what are irrelevant and minor things to the stories that superhero comics are trying to tell destroys the genre. Let me give one quick example. And I'm going to move on. Superheroes technically are vigilantes. They are individual, typically speaking, they are individuals outside of the law who go in and, and take on criminals and beat them up and, and so on and so forth. So you can take that too seriously and start looking at the history of real vigilante groups in the real world and what's happened to them, and I have. Um, and also, you know, what happens with gathering evidence for trial, what happens with uh, you know, these criminals who have been physically assaulted. How do you deal with superpowered vigilance? You can do all of those things. And if you take it too seriously, you're going to get lost in the weeds. You're going to get lost in the maze because those are 
irrelevant to the superhero genre and focusing on those things is foolish. It is not what superheroes are about. I have noticed, and this has just been an awareness that has come to me over the last 11 years, that people who write superhero comics and people who write superhero movie scripts are embarrassed by superheroes. They think it's silly. They think it's corny. They think it's stupid. They're embarrassed by the costumes. They're embarrassed by the code names. They're embarrassed by the unabashed heroism of superheroes. They're embarrassed by everything that makes superheroes superheroes. And I believe this embarrassment goes back at least to, it may have existed before then, but it became toxic and uh, malignant in the 1980s with Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns, where people all of a sudden started talking about, quote, deeply realistic superheroes, even though Watchmen was not realistic at all. And it was not a profound con uh, exploration of the medium. It was not a profound exploration of the necessary psychology of heroes in the real world. Taking Watchmen seriously and believing that you need to respond to Watchmen to either, uh, you know, get your way around its criticisms by showing how you incorporate them in your world. Like, oh, well, Watchmen says this is kind of silly and bad and, and they're right, so I've done this in my world. Or whatever they have to do is wrong. And it's that what destroyed comics is people believe that Alan Moore was doing something that was fundamentally deep and profound. And what he was actually doing was just going beyond the bounds of where superheroes work and adding in a bunch of nastiness, adding in a bunch of ugliness, adding in a bunch of anti-heroism. He made all of the heroes into anti-heroes with a, just a ton of nasty, ugly stuff. And then said, uh, but he did it very, very skillfully. And he is a great storyteller. So he told the story in a compelling way, but he was not making any true points. So it destroyed the approach to comics. And even today, people who are trying to do comics well, who like comics, and I'm going to include like Tom King, um, who's the current author on Batman, even they can't help but destroy comics and undermine comics every time they do it because they're trying to make superheroes realistic in ways that just destroy the superhero genre. Now, let me go back. Is that sort of what Neon Genesis Evangelion did for uh, Japanese mecha shows? Analogously, because Japan had already had a strict bifurcation between what they call the super robot subgenre of mecha and the real robot genre. So realism had already come in, but they did it right for one of a better term uh, when Hideki Anno did, uh, did Eva, he tried to kind of lampoon both, but um, uh, Yoshiki Tomino, the creator of Gundam, like way back in, in 79, had kind of given birth to this real robot genre where he approached Mecha with realism, but he did it respecting the genre and respecting the source material. 
and he did it through Mill SF. Um, he, he did the classic science fiction author exercise of asking, okay, what if? And he tried to figure out what if a space-based military deployed giant bipedal manned robots in combat, okay, how'd that work? And what conditions would be necessary to make that work? And it, it succeeded. And as JD Count on the chat points out, the real robot genre didn't kill off super robots, which are yeah, more more of like the the, the Voltron or or Trans or Z, where like the great example is the robot is powered by the fighting spirit of the pilot and can achieve seemingly seemingly supernatural powers. Okay. They they were able to coexist side by side because real robot wasn't seen as an attempt to undermine or inject realism into super robot. It branched off into its own thing almost immediately. And Eva kind of tried to recombine them because this isn't really spoiler because it's in the first episode of Eva and yeah, the show's like 23 years old now, but the giant mecha in that aren't really mecha. They're cloned angels. And they try to play it straight. So you can kind of see where I'm going with this. Just how he... It was a little little ridiculous, a little over the top, but they, they played it serious. Like they were saying something about God and man and angels and whatnot. Bingo. So, yeah. so you touched on the two different genres that... I, I, I don't, uh, as someone with very little experience uh, reading or watching Mecha, real mechs versus super mechs, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm inferring that something like Voltron would be super mechs, but what's a real mech? Right, Gundam would be real mech. It's the, the first real robot genre where you've still got super robot DNA, right? Some of the tropes being that uh, the, the main mech in the show is a super prototype built by like a, a, a single super scientist and somehow his young or, or teenage son ends up as the pilot. And they, they do start with that, but then they diverge into kind of a, a cross between that and like MASH where it, yeah, there, there's some slapstick humor. Sometimes it's funny, but then there's some dark moments there. You get some horror of war you get some human drama. You even get some borderline maudlin scenes. So it, it runs the full gamut. And um, the original Mobile Suit Gundam is often equated to the Star Trek of Japan. Um, when the first series came out, no one really knew what to make of it because it was so far out of its time. It, um, it had to end its run early. It was basically canceled. But then got a second life. Uh, not so much through syndication as in the case of Star Trek, but because the models blew up and got really popular. So uh, they then greenlit a second series. Just, just to circle back to, to my initial confusion. Oh, sure. It, I, it sounds like from what you said, I would sum it up as uh, a super mecha is a giant robot as a superhero, but the real mecha is giant robots as weapons or tools right cool. exactly so so 
I want to know what your story's doing, how how you're approaching the, the Mecca. Because judging by your awesome little picture there, uh, it sounds like you're a little more real than super. Right, yeah. The the first novel of XC definitely starts out firmly in the super robot subgenre. So what I'm doing with my mecha is that uh, is Mr. Offner in the chat helpfully summed up. The basic overview of Comet Frame Xseed is human society collapses while space colonists are building O'Neill cylinder colonies in outer space. The colonists come back and invade Earth with Mecca in an attempt to re-civilize it. So where the Mecca came from is they evolved from the bipedal construction machinery used to build the space colonies. And one day one guy thought, okay, what would happen if I duct taped a minigun to this thing? Let's see what would happen. And he weaponized them. <laughs> that was bound to happen at some point. Exactly. It's inevitable, right? That, that, that reminds me. I'm going to go off on, on a, a short tangent here. Uh, that reminds me of how um, military airplanes were developed. That, that airplanes were originally used as scouts. They didn't have weapons. And then the pilots started bringing bricks with them and throwing bricks at each other. I am not making this up. Right. Yeah, and, I remember that. And eventually they figured out how to mount machine guns on the planes and still get them to fly. Yeah, and apparently according to all I said super robot. No, Xseed correction is firmly in the real robot subgenre, as you can probably tell from my description. And yeah, that that's how it went. So they 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 weaponized these uh, essentially caterpillar backhoes in space and sent them sent them to Earth to try to recivilize it. The people saw the humanitarian missions from space is, is meddling aliens really. And it hit the fan as is want to happen when two groups that don't see eye to eye uh, rub up against each other. So that's the backstory. That, that's the backdrop for the series. Uh, now what I'm doing in terms of trying to rehabilitate I suppose Mecca for Western audience is strip out those accretions from Eva and from the other series, spinning the wheels and just really getting safe and conservative and just repeating what works over and over again is like I said, imposing a, a more Western style conflict based story structure. So I don't want people to think that this is an academic exercise and this is going to be like a, a, a dry treatise on speculative warfare. No, nah, no, I, I blow stuff up. Like it, the, the book has been described by one of my beta readers as just a 300 page running gunfight that also manages to get some pretty weighty ideas across in the, in the process. As I, I want to do if you've read the, the soul cycle, but fun is the number one concern. So yeah, you, you have giant robots shooting each other, shooting buildings, stepping on people, exploding, making other things explode, uh, crash landing on aircraft carriers, 
cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. I, I, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're po pointing out your reputation on the soul cycle and everything. Uh, yeah. I, 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 th I think you've you've taken your shots along that. But I mean, for anybody who's read that uh, through the the Secret Kings, uh, they know that you can put together a good uh, action scene or series of action scenes, and and put making doing that with robots, I think, is going to be pretty amazing. Thanks. Yeah, th thanks for the vote of confidence. Um, the, the people who have read the beta version of the book are really digging it. And um, I assembled my beta reader team this time exclusively from not only hardcore mecha fans, but current and former military. Because this is also a Mill SF book. It's my first one. I wanted to make sure I got it right. And except for you know a, a couple terms of art they all agree that yeah uh for for the genre i i got the military look and feel right i, I did my homework so exceed is also very much uh in the vein of western MLSF stories which again is one of the elements that i thought would be helpful to salvage the mecha genre Really from from itself, and I don't want to sound like I'm getting a big head here because, on the whole, yeah, I was inspired by Nicole and Jason Anspach, who just said, "Yeah, we're going to do Star Wars, not Star Wars, because Star Wars is badass and it's fun, and it's the guilty pleasure book that we would read on a Saturday night." Well, in my case, like Zeta Gundam is what I watch when I don't have plans on a Saturday, and I'm just going to pop some popcorn and pop a Coke Zero and chill. So I did that and then cross-pollinated it with Western tropes, especially Millisef, threw in a dash of espionage to keep things interesting, keep you guessing, throw in a sense of mystery, and then made sure I blew something up every 5,000 words. I like it. Um, I, I have a question, though. Is Are you going to tie it in somehow to the the impending U.S. space force that apparently we're going to be building? I don't have to. <laughs> You're far enough in the future. You're far enough in the future. There's no... No, I mean, it. the space force ties into my plans. Everything is proceeding as I had foreseen. <laughs> because, let, let me lay this on you. I didn't just pull Xseed out of my hat. Like the Soul Cycle, I, I've been working on it for as long as the Soul Cycle concurrently. So oh. while I was working on the Soul Cycle for like the last fifteen years, whenever I'd get tired of doing the space opera, sword and planet horror thing, I'd take a break. I'd go over to my giant robot mill SF thing. So this has been years in the making. I've got a highly refined, and I've had the timeline mapped out. And the first thing I did was I started from present day and tried to project where all these global crises that are converging on us might, might go. And knowing that history doesn't proceed in a linear fashion, I threw a couple curveballs in there. And uh, I, I'm glad to see that uh, 15 years on, we are right on schedule. <laughs> uh, you're nothing if not prescient. Jeff, well, 
Jeffro Johnson in the chat has some really in, important questions. He needs to know about romance in the in the series. Specifically, yeah. uh, and uh, JD Cowan notes that if there's a love interest, there's a 50-50 chance uh, she's a demon. What do you say to that? Who told you? No. Uh, yeah, that, that's interesting. He, he knows me so well. But it sounds like you're not gonna, you're not going to introduce necessarily. You're not going to introduce aliens or supernatural uh, uh, abilities or anything like that. It's this is strictly. Uh, at what it, what happens in the future if if history goes this way and we build giant mecca what does it look like well i don't have to introduce supernatural elements into history because they're already here sure <laughs> okay i'll i'll grant you that but i think you know damn well what i mean <laughs> well i don't want to spoil anything okay but notice i said it starts in the real robot genre um, I am planning four books for this series like it did for Soul Cycle. Really, it just kind of worked out that way. And then depending on how it goes, um, we can always do more. But yeah, there, there are four main books planned that uh, cover like 140 years of various conflicts. And now let, let me get back to Trevor's question because it is important. Uh, yes, there is, I would say, there, there are a couple of what you could consider romances in this book um one is between a borderline psychotic mad scientist spaceman whose frankenstein mech was stolen by the government and uh who embarks on a cross-country rampage to get it back and there is uh, a a lady a, a nurse who tends to him, who kind of develop, develops uh, a crush on him. And uh, he couldn't care less about her. He's just laser focused on his mech, but she's kind of chasing him. And that, that's where that starts out. But then there is more of a classical romance between an, an honest to goodness prince because uh, monarchical structures and governments re-emerged after the collapse in this world. Um, and a, a space maiden. So we, we do have that. And that is more, uh, more of a, a romance plot played straight. So there's like one and a half romances in it. All right. Well, well, you know what my angle is going to be. And, and, and I'm happy to hear that because we need space princes and space princesses. It's not, it's not real space without either of those things. But for me, you're probably going to guess what my, my question is. And I'm getting way ahead of the game here. What are your plans for, for tie-in board games and role-playing games? That's what I want. I already have a role-playing game for this. Uh, my friends and I cobbled it together, and we've been refining it again for, for over a decade. So I, I have been approached by like animators and artists and game designers. Now, I considered making the next stretch goal after the audiobook, the Exceed role-playing game, with like a little over two weeks left. I think that'd be a bit too ambitious for a first time out. No need to take on the whole world right off the bat. So here's what I'll tell you. I'm strongly considering if there's enough of an interest 
in either doing an Indiegogo just for the role-playing game after the first book comes out and we, we see how it does, or I, I am definitely going to do an Indiegogo campaign for the next book. And now that this one has proved successful and if we can get the audio funded this time, we'll see about making the game a stretch goal next time. Uh, that, sounds that sounds amazing. You, you know, I, I was going to suggest if, if you actually have a game and you don't mind, you, can, can you shoot me a couple of text files and I'll play it? Nice. It's going to need some revisions. So I will get on that. Um, but first I got to write the, the short story that's going to bridge the first and second novel. Uh, which, which I have started, and then I've got to edit a uh, friend of the show, Bradford Walker's Star Knight Saga book, which will be coming uh, any any minute now. And uh, yeah, then I can just do another quick cleanup pass on the game and, and get it to you. Oh, that would be awesome. I, I will do an official Geek Gab review of that. Game night. Geek Gab game night review. Um. So I, I have a question with uh, this is something that's been bothering me with the recent spate of very successful, very, very successful Indiegogos that have been going around. Um, I worry that Indiegogo, while useful right now, is not going to be a stable platform for people selling stuff into the future. I think you have to have a an actual storefront that people trust enough to interact with a la Amazon or um, Comixology or something. And so my thinking is that in order to actually make money to become successful, to establish a business and maintain it over a long period of time, you have to reach out to more than just people who are fans uh, of, you know, fans of revolting against the current uh, duopoly. You have to reach out and market to and capture as customers uh, normies. So is, uh, and I don't know how, I don't know how you market it to normies and get a breakout success. I don't know how you build a platform um, where you can get success that isn't just a crapshoot. I mean, I mean, literally, just roll the dice and chance. Well, the way you do that is you go to where the people who are already fans of that genre are, and you go to where they hang out, you go to where they discuss things, and you, you join their scene, and you exercise good citizenship. You do not mention your project for at least six months, and in the meantime... You contribute, you give them free entertainment and information, and you get serious about really joining because you should only be writing what you're already a fan of anyway. So, for example, um, a number of Gundam groups online, like on Discord and Twitter, have been kind enough to accept me into their fold, and I interact there regularly so that when the book comes out, I've already got people who have invested ownership in it somewhat because um, I've asked them for critiques on first drafts of, of my chapters and I've asked them for input on, on my drawings. So it's, it's like what Nick and Jason did with galaxy's edge. They, they really found uh, the, the formula for that. 
and it's by being a fan yourself it, it also really helps that um mill sf is like the the number one science fiction genre right now so really letting the amazon algorithm do its thing after picking your your keywords right and uh working the algorithm is a proven method of success so that's my strategy is yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm building my tribe i'm building relationships i'm exercising good online citizenship i'm giving people free information and entertainment i'm getting them invested in the project so that when i do launch on amazon i'm gonna have a street team that is excited about this and is gonna gonna be excited to go out and evangelize about it you're putting in the work in a lot of places other than just the text of the novel oh absolutely you have to because again an indie author i think the term indie author is really a misnomer because yeah i'm an author but i also take on all the responsibilities of a publisher so i've i've got to have my marketing strategy down i've got to have my public relations game i got to have my ground game so like, like I've been saying at the beginning of the show, um, I've been working a lot for several months. In preparation honest, question. Honest, honest question, Brian. You've been doing all that work and not all of it's writing. You're, you just said you're doing the work of a publisher. Right. Money aside, is it rewarding? Do you enjoy doing the full package? It's way more rewarding than any regular nine-to-five job I've ever had. Strong recommendation. Yeah, I mean, it, it's work. I'll be honest with you. It's uh, it's not just sunshine and lollipops every day, right? It's not uh, every every meal, a banquet, every formation, a parade. But, you know, it's certainly not every paycheck of fortune. But it it is rewarding because I, I think if you start to approach this as just a cynical cash grab and I'm going to go out and bilk those rubes for their beer money well then you're, you're not serving yourself you're certainly not serving the audience and it's only a matter of time before you either burn out or make a mistake and and get exposed as has happened with um certain personalities everyone's probably familiar with that we're not gonna get into that's another subject but you, you you gotta love what you do now are there elements of it that come a little harder to me yeah one i'm i'm an introvert it requires an enormous expenditure of mental energy for me to go out and interact with people so yeah i mean like like actually interacting on social media is hard for me but i just remind myself that it's it it's part of the work it's it's something that that has to be done and i fans who want to hear from me that there are people out there for whom exceed is going to be their favorite book and i do them a disservice by not giving them some way to know about it Oh, and that sounds nice too, because then if you if you're primarily interacting through social media, you can set your own pace and schedule, and 
and you've been writing a lot of blog posts lately too. You haven't been doing so much Twitter as you have been uh, doing a blog post every day or nearly every day. Yeah, I, uh, I, I blog six days a week. Um, and in fact, I'm going to have to do one when I get off with you guys. And uh, Oh, can yeah. I say what's the topic? Please. How, how awesome the live show of the Geek Gab is. I'm sure you can get a couple of days out of that. Yeah, that's a common recurring theme, actually. Because I love you guys. <laughs> well, that was a joke, but if you did it, that'd be, that'd be cool, too. It, uh, you know what? Speaking of that, I'll take another quick aside. It's really hilarious to me that last week, last week's show, for whatever reason, the views on um, on YouTube of last week's show dropped down, but the views on uh, on SoundCloud stayed the same or maybe even went up. I have no idea. I, I, I don't know how to explain that. I'm not even sure what exactly happened there. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're not the only one who's seen anomalous social media stats. It, there's been some funky stuff going on. Yeah, they're they're playing shenanigans with traffic and and views and and you know what? I mean, I work at a software company. I've been working with software for you know my adult life. Uh, they're always iterating and trying new things. It's not always nefarious. With Google and Facebook, it's probably nefarious, but. They're they're always iterating and trying to improve their, uh, you know, the fa the famous Amazon quote unquote algorithm. You know, we want to get the right things in front of the right eyeballs so we can make more sales. That sort of thing. Uh, this is just this is what it's like dealing with uh, someone else's platform. So uh, if we can take a step outside of uh, Xseed itself. Um, what are you personally most excited about uh, uh, that's coming up? Anything, movie, book, game, whatever. In terms of the the popular culture? No, just you as a person, you as a fan. What do you think? Is there anything coming out that you're really looking forward to? Hmm. I'm not going to say Civil War 2. <laughs> um. <laughs> Man, that's dark. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I've I've gone into full on hermit mode. The, like the the last big movie I saw in the theater was the most recent Mission Impossible, and I can't even remember how long ago that that came out. I've just I've thrown myself into Xseed just so hard that I've. This is one of the first times I've surfaced for air recently, other than uh, going on Declan's podcast and Jim's. I. So I don't even really know what's coming. I know what you're saying because for the past five, six months, I have been primarily inwardly looking myself as I'm moving into a specific phase of development on, on something. Um, and I have a weekly, I have this weekly show, obviously, and then I also have to do things for this weekly show. I have a daily blog post, so I have to do things for the daily blog post, which basically read a bunch of, of new geek news websites and things like that. And, and you know miscellaneous websites, whatever. And then I have my Castilia House blog post on Monday that I have to do something for. So, uh, and then I do uh, some social media. But even my social media usage has dropped way down from where it should be. So, if I hadn't had those things being, um, you know, jobs that I had to get done, 
obligations that I've taken on, I probably would have pretty much disappeared entirely for the last six months because uh, once you reach a certain point in development, it is no longer necessary to look outward anymore. You don't need any more outside information or outside stimulus. And in fact, that can actually hurt the project. Um, this is a pattern that has held true with me. It's a pattern that uh, the person I was reading the article about had commented on, that a lot of people who are creative or are problem-solving, what will happen is there's this long period of them um, amassing a bunch of sources, amassing a bunch of information, amassing a bunch of uh, raw brain material. And then all of a sudden, at some point, they go quiet. They stop reading because their brain is full. They stop even thinking about the problem. The problem is just kind of sitting there in the back of their mind, and they don't consciously think about it. But after a week or two weeks or three weeks of that quietness, then the breakthrough happens. The critical moment where they understand the problem, it gets crystallized, and they can start uh, moving forward on it. But that process of amassing all that information and then thinking about it is of necessity once you reach the point where your brain doesn't accept anything else you're going to want to and i don't mean that in terms of advice i mean that in terms of what just naturally happens you just naturally pull back from things because you can't you don't have brain space to think about absolutely everything beyond kind of the superficial a superficial reactionary level you just have to let it roll in your brain. And as soon as your brain gets past that problem-solving stage, when it starts throwing out answers, uh, then you can move on. And, and again, I'm not suggesting this as advice. I'm telling you that you will find yourself becoming a hermit at a certain point, and that is even before you start writing, um, because your brain is saying, you know, no more. Work on this. We're ready. Exactly. I have firsthand, yeah. I firsthand experience what you're talking about. Um, and so that, that's why I haven't been on like the Superversive podcast for a while. When they were moved to the wrong day, but it, it it was not one of my core obligations, and so it kind of got pushed to the side because I'm focusing on stuff that are my core obligations, and uh, just about everything else that isn't directly part of my core obligations. Uh, outside the project has has kind of fallen away. Well, there we go. I'm excited to see the fruits of your secret project. <laughs> and also, as I mentioned earlier, Bradford Walker's uh, Galactic Christendom project, which ethics disclosure, I'm the editor for. So here's another question I had. When we, we passed by this at one point, we are running out of time. That's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to drag this out for another hour and a half, but... Um, you mentioned the uh, Gundam for us, like a hashtag that you made that uh, was sort of like the Star Wars, not Star Wars for, for the Gundam crowd. Um, but there is more than just you involved in a Gundam for us. Yeah. What's up with that? Sorry, I needed a question. What's up with that? That's my question. Excellent question. Yeah, I, I decided when I was generating the hashtag to go in a slightly different direction because I didn't just want to hate Nick and Jason, don't get me wrong. What they're doing is awesome. No one can argue with their results. 
but I interact with a lot of you guys in the, the pulp rev and I did see a genre in, in need of renewal, if you will. So I wanted to issue, make it more aspirational. I wanted something that, um, wasn't just, Hey, we're this thing you love with the serial numbers filed off. Which Nick has, Nick has admitted is what stars, not stars is. Yeah. I wanted something that was more of a rallying cry. And, and even if I hadn't heard that motto, you would know what he was doing. Oh, yeah. He doesn't hide it. It's not like he's trying to play coy or claim it was something that it isn't. No, he set out to do Star Wars better than the current custodians of Star Wars are doing it, and he succeeded wildly beyond anyone's expectations. So, no, my, my hat is off to friends, friends of the show, Nicole and Jason on Spock. They just released the new book last week. It's, it was number it one the day it released, so... Sensational. Yeah, and... I totally credit the other fine folks in the hashtag. They flocked to the banner. So we have Ral Nianzi in the chat. Of course, Bradford with his Galactic Christendom project. Um, Reavers of the Void, the, the first book in the Star Knight saga, uh, I believe is scheduled for December. He can correct me on that if I'm wrong. And yeah, we've had... Um, well, yeah, I, I can't even count all all the folks i've seen who've used the hashtag at one point or another so it's really resonated with folks and i mean first of all i'll be honest i saw that as a positive sign that okay i'm on to something here there is a market right. for this kind of story but not just necessarily my flavor of it because everybody's doing something a little bit different bradford is doing more classical um Sword and Planet style, so it's basically Mecca as done by Edgar Rice Burroughs, for example. Um, and, and what is, uh, have we talked about Raleigh's story? Do you want to give a quick quick pocket description of that as far as what, what you know about it? Well, I know that he has gone back to the drawing board a couple of times uh, from what I've heard his central thesis revolves around um, kind of a what-if story involving Lucrezia Noin from Gundam Wing. Oh, and he's saying right now he he will describe it. Okay, we can uh, have him pop that up uh, in the chat. We'll talk about that in just a second. Yeah, I um, this is the last thing I'm gonna I'm gonna bring out. Um, I think that Jason and I actually have talked about this kind of at length with Nick Cole one day. Um, if, if people can find an audience and define their audience and cater to that audience uh, and it's a large enough audience and, and your work is done well and you've you know, taken the time to hone your talents, all that stuff, all the normal caveats aside, um, it can really boost your career. And if you get a big enough boost from your initial audience, you can then move, on, move out into normiedom and start making an audience for the work itself, not just depending on um, people who like what you're doing. So even uh, Larry Correa, his first move was to make uh, Monster Hunter International appeal to gun nuts. He wanted to include a lot of gun porn. And so he identified his audience, which was originally, hey, a bunch of people on the forum who were mad about how firearms was uh, treated in horror movies. Oh, yeah. And also, here are all these other stupid things. Man, if me and my friends who, you know, some of us are ex-Army, some of us were ex, you know, 
uh, other ex-military and what off. If we were in, in, in horror movies, we wouldn't do the stupid things these jerks do. We would do this other really cool stuff. And, you know, all of a sudden Larry's like, wait, that would be a great for a book. And he starts putting it together. So he had an audience there of gun nuts, originally just gun nuts in this one specific thread on this one specific site. But it got enough traction among all the gun nuts that a year after self-publishing, Bay and Books came knocking and wanted to, to take on the series and then anything else he writes. She... He just keeps on getting contracts from Bayon for whatever he wants to write because, you know, he knocks him out of the park. So bring that back to this is if you can, if you're looking to build your own brand and break out, yes, start like Larry Correa did, which is identifying this. I mean, I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm not saying this is the only way to do this. And I'll, I'll bring that back also in just a sec, that there being different ways. But start off by identifying your audience. Get to know your audiences like you have done. Go, go to message boards and stuff and uh, become part of the... I hate this term. Become part of the fandom, right? Or become part of the community. Um, <laughs> To just make friends, make acquaintances, let people know who you are. So then when you start bringing works out, you have an audience there. They will buy your stuff. So my, and this is what I talked to Jason about, my problem is that there is absolutely no current audience for what I'm doing. And so, and it's not something that you can announce piecemeal. It's not something that's going to make an, attack, uh, uh, an impression piecemeal. So when it comes time to do things publicly, and this is, uh, this is uh, Nick Cole's phrase, is I'm just going to have to launch a frontal attack, a frontal assault on Amazon and forge my own uh, fan base because I won't be able to depend on the algorithm to do the work for me. And so it's very, very scary. It's very, very interesting. Um, and as, you know, as John can tell you, I, I have spent a lot of time in addition to work, in addition to research, in addition to whatever, I've spent a lot of time um, going back over a year now, um, thinking about how to market this, how to position it, looking at things. And it really wasn't until a lit RPG discussion Lit RPG came up in a different discussion back on, on Twitter. I tried to do one thing that was a failure, but the failure pointed me in another direction, which is Lit RPG as a uh, genre hmm. itself encompasses a bunch of other stuff. And so, but people will read it. They will read Lit RPG as long as that conceit is intact of a person playing an RPG in a computer world and it having effects on the real world and back and forth, yada, yada, yada. And so you can do something like that. I'm just going to have to manufacture interest in something like that or prompt interest in something like that or drive interest in something like that on my own. I have to do all the work up front. So I have to, I, other people, Nick is teaching you how to be SEALs, how to be special operations and sneak in and, and get into the established thing by using the tools you already have for you. I'm having to plan D-Day because that's the only way it can work for me. And so that's kind of, it's kind of intimidating. It's really big, but it's a big project. So that's apt, I suppose. Well, I echo Emmett Fitzhume in the chat. We are here to back you up. We, we got your six, buddy. Um, did, uh, Roland Yanzi, we gave him time. That was why I went on that spiel, uh, by the way, to give Roland time to to throw up his description so we could, we could toss it in the show. And there it is. I summarize it as 
Relina is a char. I have no idea what that means. Oh, thank goodness. Now we have an excuse for someone to explain these terms to me. <laughs> He's uh, referencing a Gundam trope. Um, Char Aznable is the main antagonist of the original 1979 Mobile Suit Gundam series. And if Gundam is the Star Trek of Japan, oh, it's, it's, it's hard to overstate Char's cultural impact. Think of him as having the cultural cachet in Japan of a combination of Spock and Darth Vader combined. Oh, okay. So much so that there's a version of him referred to as the Char or the Char clone in every Gundam series, even those set in uh, alternate universes. Kind of like Chocobos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a sliding way. So, okay. Uh, but that description resonates with the fan base though resonates with the group that he's shooting yeah. for at least initially so that, that's a smart move it lets them know in in a very compact way what they can expect they're like oh that sounds interesting i wanted to i always wondered what what that would be like i always wanted gundam to do that and they never did so i'm interested in raleigh's story and for a little red meat for gundam fans out there yes there is a char in exceed okay um all right, we are a little bit over time, not greatly over time, which is fine. We started a little bit late, so we're only we're only a couple minutes over time at this point. Um, I, I want to give uh, I want to give you the last uh, uh, one last chance to say anything you want to say about your book. And again, remember the link to the Indiegogo where you can order this book is in the description of the video right now. It's already live. You can go down there and click on it, and it will continue to be live. Excellent. Thank you. I just want to let you guys know. We're, we're still running, we're, we're shooting for that $5,000 benchmark, so our buddy Jim Fear can hear the audiobook. He's done a sample of Chapter 1, which, which sounds phenomenal. You can find it linked under the, the story section on Indiegogo or from my blog. Give it a listen, and then choose your perk level. We've got everything from $5 gets you the ebook. Early, the planned launch date is in January of 2019. By backing this project, all tiers of perks, okay, are guaranteed to get the ebook in November. So two months early, gonna get it before anyone else. And then after that, we've uh, got the ebook plus a, a lovely poster version of the cover by my awesome artist Todd Everhart. Then after that, we've got the trade paperback and ebook bundle uh, you still get the ebook early with that and then we go all the way up into uh, more of the, the gold tier of rewards so we still have one build your own mac perk left one gentleman snatched the first one up uh he and i brainstormed together on creating a mac that will be canonical it will be featured in the combat frame xseed cy2 gaiden short story that will bridge the first and second novels, and he could not be happier with the, the outcome of that perk, so it's highly recommended. Um, and also, we are offering, for $500, you can get a private dinner and signing with me, subject to approval, see the details in the perk description. All right, um, so go there, uh, take a look. If you know anybody who likes Gundam, uh, who, who uh, you know, and this sounds intriguing to you, and you might uh, sound intriguing to them, 
by all means pass along word of this uh, um, word of this current drive because um, you know it may uh, they may love the chance to get on the ground floor. Um, I've had a similar uh, experience with a different Indiegogo where people I posted about somebody's Indiegogo after it was over and people were like oh man. I wish I had gone and gotten one of those because the chance to do so is, is over. It's, it's they can't get it anymore. Literally, they won't be made anymore. So, um, by all means, jump in yourself and uh, go along and um, and pass the word along. Um, now, I have a secret message in the uh, chat that indicates uh, that my fellow host, uh, Mr. Dornall. It has stepped out for a second. So normally this is me where I'd ask him, hey, do you have any last words or everything? He doesn't. He is absolutely mute. He has no last words for any of you today. Apologies. Oh, it is nothing personal. Oh, um, that's that's so sad. I'm right here, man. Oh, you're back. back. Yeah, do you that have was any like, last words for the people? That, in the that was like four minutes ago. <laughs> I wish our chat had timestamps. Uh, yes, I did. I just step out for something really quick, but uh, I did want to say that I I backed Exceed Dead Tree copy. I'm looking forward to that. Maybe maybe I'll actually read it one day too. Yeah, <laughs> I think you will. Pray for a head cold, but not. Please don't pray for food poisoning. I I can't handle that. Uh -oh. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to read. Really, you can't read while you've got food poisoning. Yeah, yeah, you know, well, actually, it depends on what kind of food poisoning, right? What Some some food poisonings, you, uh, all you do is sit, so you get to read all day. Yes. Welcome to the food poisoning cast. No, um, boy, that's, that's a great, that's how I want to end the show. Actually, uh, Brian, it was super great to have you back. I'm, I was really happy. To, I miss you as a, as a co-host. I'm glad that you could spend the time with us and talk about your new projects, because I think you've got some cool stuff coming up. Ditto. Thanks, um, my, my pleasure. I, I will always continue to for you guys and, and cheer you on. I've, I like to think that I've been the wind beneath your wings secretly this whole time during my absence. But, uh, <laughs> simply call upon me and I will be there. As far as the rest of us go, um, this has been Geek Gab. We are here every Saturday just about the same time or just about every Saturday just about the same time barring uh, unfortunate events or um the unscheduled abrupt and hasty end of the world i'm afraid that the actual death of all life on planet earth will despite my uh extreme stubbornness and being here for you our audience the death of the world will probably likely mean that the show won't be on that saturday anything short of that usually we're here um you can catch us on youtube.com slash geekgab, youtube.com slash geekgab. We are also available on the Google Play Store. We are also available on the iTunes Store. And we are also available for both download and listening on the web at soundcloud.com. Just do a search for geekgab and you can subscribe to us on the mobile device of your choice. Heck, one of our audience members who is here listening live today is even listening to the show while he is out uh, jogging. So we wish uh, John Mollison best of luck on improving his health and his calisthenic, uh, his cardiovascular system. We are, I am afraid, forced to leave you for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We 
Will be back.